What's up, Life Point Church? How you guys doing today? Come on, you glad you came to church? What a great day. I don't know about you, but I woke up today and I got outside and it felt like fall time. I started rejoicing way early today. Hallelujah. Well, it's so good to have all of you with us today. My name is Mike Burnett. My wife, Stephanie, and I are so honored to pastor the church together. And along with our amazing team, we want to say welcome to all of you and a welcome to all of our guests, as well as everyone joining us at our Austin P. State University campus and those who are all around the world as part of our online church family. We love you guys. We're so honored to be one church in a whole lot of places. How many of you glad you came on this day? Come on, everybody. You know the Bible says, this is the day the Lord has made. So we're going to rejoice and be glad about it. I'm very excited about the message today, and uh, we're going to get to it very quickly. As always, I want to say thank you for being a generous church. We're a church that believes in, we bring tithes to the Lord, which is our first tenth portion. We bring that to the Lord through his church. And then beyond that, we give offerings. And you're a very generous church. Your giving goes way beyond LifePoint Church. We're helping to plant other churches. We're helping to establish missions and establish new church works around the world. In fact, we have a team right now in uh, Kingston, Jamaica, one of our own church family members leading missions in Jamaica, doing some back-to-school outreach. And you guys have just been such a generous and blessing to so many people. So thank you so much for that. However you give, just know that your giving is going way further than here uh, as we do every year in August, we're doing 21 days of prayer, and uh, we, we're just having a great time in prayer, and I hope that you've got time every day to join us. If you don't have our Pray First guide, you can get it on our website, scan that QR code, and it's located there digitally as well, as we have some uh, uh, print versions of that as well. But pray every day. Spend some time praying for national leaders, for your church, for the community, for the city and the county that you're a part of. Pray for your family. Just pray intentionally. And we have this attitude, pray first, then listen to what God's saying. Come on, as we pray and we listen to the Holy Spirit and read his word, and then move as a result. So pray, listen, then move. A lot of us move, don't listen, and pray God just bail us out of whatever dumb thing we did. Yep. I mean, if you got teenagers, oh, anyway, so, so we want to we learn to pray first, then listen to God, then do what he says. And in praying first, I'm asking you every, every week to pray about giving uh, above and beyond our regular tithes. We're gonna give a big offering this month and we only do two offerings a year, uh, two big offerings a year, one in January for clean water uh, with our partnership with Convoy of Hope. And then uh, our big offering in August, we do a big offering to feed kids around the world with the uh, One Day to Feed the World initiative with Convoy. And our goal as, a, as an organization, as a church, we wanna partner strategically with the people that are getting it done around the world. And Convoy at current is right under 500,000 kids that they're feeding every day through their feeding initiatives. And uh, it's their goal to be at a million kids a day by 2030, but they're on track to make it by 2027 or 2028. And LifePoint, we get to be a part of helping that happen. And so I've been asking you this last couple of weeks, would you pray about giving one day's wage away? So take your annual income divided by 250 working days, and would you give that as an offering above your tithes, give that as an offering to feed kids? Convoy has figured out a way to feed a kid for an entire month for $10, and they'll feed them their biggest, most nutritious meal. And these are orphans, these are kids in developing countries, kids that are, their, their, their only meal may be this meal that you're providing. So for $10 a month, you can feed a kid all month long. Well, do the math on your daily income, divided by $10, and that's how many months you can feed a kid somewhere around the world. By the way, just to show you a little bit of what that looks like, we have a video Convoy has sent us as a thank you to LifePoint Church. I want you to see where your generosity and Feed One will go. Check this out. Hello from Spain. Hello from Nepal. Hello from Tanzania. Hello from the Philippines. Hello from Haiti. Hello. Como decimos en Guatemala, 
Convoy of Hope is partnering with the local communities by providing daily lunch to more than 1,200 children in the public schools. By feeding 116,000 children every day. By supplying food kits um, to women, children, even babies. Our agricultural programs have been helping families like this, and they have their radish and cilantro cultives that have helped their family through COVID. Thank you. Gracias. Thank you for partnering with Conway of Hope. Thank you for giving your one day to feed the world. Come on, somebody. Isn't that worth it? Listen, we don't give to build our kingdoms. God's given to you to build a family and all that stuff, but we want to give to build the kingdom of heaven and build the kingdom of God. By the way, that last uh, pastor that you saw, he's pastoring in Hinch, Haiti. And some of you guys have been around the church long enough to remember back in 2014, we had about 300 kids in our kids ministry. And we said, we wanted to adopt a village somewhere in the world that's feeding 300 kids. So hey, Convoy just went out and searched in their whole feeding program. And we connected with that pastor in Haiti. They had 300 kids in their orphanage and their Christian schools that they fed every day. So we said, we got 300 kids here. We're going to adopt 300 kids somewhere. And so we've been feeding that particular orphanage and Christian school for about 10 years through your generosity. I just want to say thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And we can do more. So listen, uh, pray about giving a day's wages, maybe two days wages, maybe 10 days wages, whatever God would ask you to do, just do that. Maybe your business would say, we want to give a day's income of our business away. And, um, and, and just pray and ask God and do what he tells you. Can I hear an amen, everybody? Well, hey, we're in Acts chapter 18. We're continuing the book of Acts series. I want to ask you to get your stuff out, your Bible, your notebook. I promise you, you're going to want to take notes on today's message. This is probably one of the most profound sermons I've ever heard from our guest speaker today. I, I'm a, I, I always am careful of who we bring in to speak to LifePoint Church, but today is one of those days where everybody who has heard Pastor Wayne before, he's been here four times or so, everybody loves hearing from him. He's like family to this church. Uh, Pastor Wayne has been a voice in my life for a number of years. He and I are very, very, very close friends. In fact, we talk weekly. He's a guy that I, I think everybody needs to have somebody that knows everything about you or that you can tell the hard stuff about. And Pastor Wayne's one of those guys when I'm, when I'm struggling, when I need prayer and encouragement, and I need to be honest with somebody that keeps it tight. Uh, Pastor Wayne's one of those friends for me, but he also loves this church. He loves the leadership of this church. He's spoken in a lot to what's going on here. In fact, two years ago, after the death of Ahmaud Arbery and, and George Floyd, Pastor Wayne came and helped me uh, as we lead our church through the discussion of race in America and how the church needs to lead the way in reconciling. There is no reconciliation without the gospel. There's no way without Jesus that this gets better. And so in the, uh, uh, since then even, Pastor Wayne has become a number one voice, a leading voice in the church world on issues of God and race. In fact, he and his pastor, John Siebling, came out with a book called God and Race, and uh, how the church needs to lead the way. We're, we're asking too many other groups to lead, but the church needs to lead the way in, in a, a shared future of racial reconciliation and love for all people. And uh, we have this book available for you in the bookstore today. I want to encourage you to buy them out. Buy, buy all the copies. It's also on Amazon if you want to ship it to others. But he's a friend of the house. He is family. Would you give it up? Come on, everybody, for Pastor Wayne Francis. Let's go. Love you, bro. What's up, everybody? Let's make some noise. Life point if you're excited to be in the house of the Lord today. So good to be back and such an honor to be a recurrent speaker here. I love your pastors. Pastor Mike and Stephanie are amazing people, dear friends to my wife and I that shepherd this church. Would you give them another round of applause for 
how much they love you and serve you along with the team. All of the volunteers at LifePoint that make this church amazing, I want to give you a round of applause. Thank you. I'm so excited because I came about a year ago, but now I've come back and your boy is an author now. You know what <laughs> Wrote a book called God and Race with my pastor who happens to be white. <laughs> little ebony and ivory little situation going on here. And we're not experts, but we are practitioners leading diverse churches, and we believe that there is a guide for moving beyond black fists and white knuckles. I'd love for you to purchase that book. I'm going to sign it and all that stuff. I also want to honor Pastor Mike. Um, earlier this summer, he hosted a roundtable for pastors in the New York region, traditionally pastors that are overlooked and underserved in a lot of ways, that are grinding it out in the New Jersey, Connecticut, and New York area. And he bought us lunch and taught the pastors there and you know, led in uh, showing just great generosity and leadership. And I'm just so grateful for that investment. And then he came and spoke to our staff. This year, we're opening up our brand new building. 12 years of being a portable church. We will be a permanent church in our community. So I'm so looking forward to having him be one of our guest speakers next year. And he did so great with our staff. I've been really wondering if I should hire him to do human resources for our church. It's a remote position. You won't lose him. But he is that amazing. So anyways, guys, it's been very cool that you've been journeying through the book of Acts. And I'm so excited to kind of help us learn from this section of Acts chapter 18 today. That's where we're going to go today. And I'm, I'm grateful to help us learn something. You know, all throughout my academic career, in every grade, there was a teacher that I didn't like. <laughs> For whatever reason, whether I thought that they were ugly or if they didn't dress cool or if they had some quirk or if they had a reputation for being strict, I was such a petty Betty. Pray for me, everybody. The Lord has done amazing works in my life for me not to look at teachers in that way. In fact, if you are a teacher, I want to shout you out. You do hard work. Y'all had brats like me in your class. But for the most ridiculous reasons, I would decide whether or not I liked them. And if I didn't like them, I refused to learn from them. I still remember the names of some of those teachers. Mean old Mrs. Nix. Couldn't stand her. Mr. Colates and Mr. D'Alessandro and Mr. Proctor couldn't stand him either. And then I had this one teacher, his name was Mr. Pickett, and I would rally my classmates in rebellion, and I made a little song, a little jingle. Would you like to hear it? Yeah. If you got a boogie in your nose, just pick it. <laughs> petty, just so petty. I had principals that I couldn't stand either, like Mrs. Small. She was one tough cookie. And in all those classes, I barely passed because I determined that these instructors just weren't good enough to teach me. They were committed to higher education, but I thought I was higher than education. It took me some years later and some mediocre grades to discover that there is something that I needed to learn. And if I was humble enough and if I was meek enough, I probably would have done a whole lot better looking back. And today, in the passage that we'll explore in Acts chapter 18, I think that there's some big implications, regardless of where you land spiritually or what you believe about the Bible, all of us can press into this topic. We learn that Paul, the apostle, left Athens and he went to Corinth. And there he found a Jew named Aquila a native of Pontus, recently had come from Italy with his wife, 
Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And when he he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And right here, we're introduced to a biblical power couple. Yeah, we know about power couples in our culture, you know, Bill and Melinda Gates. We can name off a whole bunch of them, right? Right now, you're probably thinking of power couples. And in our culture, we have a tendency to merge the names of power couples, individuals like Benefer, Jennifer Lopez, and now her husband, Ben Affleck, Benefer, okay? And then you got Kimye, which was Kim Kardashian and Kanye West. You have to merge the names of power couples, everybody. What do you guys think about Mike and E? <laughs> Mike is Stephanie Burnett, just Mike and E. Well, today in the Bible, we're going to do Aquila and Priscilla. Maybe we'll call them Axilla because we're in the book of Acts. Axilla here is the couple that we'll kind of examine. They have some stuff in common with the Apostle Paul. They have the same trade. They're in the same industry. And we learn that after this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria. And with him, Priscilla and Aquila, Axilla came, and they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue, and he reasoned with the Jews. This couple now has become ministry partners with the Apostle Paul. Some commentators believe that since they were working in the same industry, that they might not have been believers and that Paul shared the gospel with them and they now got rooted in their belief that Jesus was the Messiah and began to do a small group and they were involved in ministry with the apostle Paul and later on we find the real meat of this context. There's this guy, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria and he came to Ephesus and he was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. Now Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, who was also a doctor, gives us the description of this guy named Apollos. We're told that he is eloquent and he's competent in the Old Testament scriptures. He's a Jew and he's from a place called Alexandria, an Egyptian city on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. It's a city of great learning, a city of great education to which many Christians would later migrate. And it may have been here that Apollos received amazing training. So think of it this way. It'd be like if you said, hey, I come from Harvard or Dartmouth or Yale, Alexandria was the place to go. He had depth. If you said you came from Alexandria, everybody knew that you had more degrees than a thermometer. It was... <laughs> so, so... So he had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in the spirit. He spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he only knew the baptism of John. He had all the great specifications to be an amazing speaker. He communicated with fervor and passion and maybe even humor. He had this ability to communicate with accuracy, no false doctrine, but he had a limitation. He had a cap. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside to explain to him the way of God more accurately. Now, what could this guy have been lacking? He's a scholar. He's a communicator. He could have been on the TED circuit. He's proficient in the understanding of the Old Testament scriptures. He's good enough to be speaking in the synagogue, but he had a limitation. 
Well, my belief is that the early teaching of John the Baptist would have informed him that, uh, that Jesus was the Messiah, but he didn't know that Jesus had actually come. As I understand Luke's text, he was limited in his knowledge and preaching of the Messiah to the revelation that Jesus had come. He had an Old Testament context, and he might have heard about the teaching ministry and miracles of Jesus, his resurrection, and all of those things that were about to be circulated about Jesus' fame, but... Apollos didn't know that the certain Messiah had come. And for someone who had finally learned about Jesus, they pull him aside privately, not publicly, and they teach him some things. They point him to Jesus because he didn't know him fully. So what do we have to learn about this passage from Scripture today? Well, everything, actually. We've got a lot to learn. Because I think that there is something that we all need to take away, and that's this. Our willingness to learn from everything and everyone can keep us from being fooled by anything and anyone. Our willingness to learn from everything and everyone can keep us from being fooled by anything and anyone. I love this Old Testament book that's lodged in the middle of your Bible. It's called Proverbs. It's like an ancient Twitter feed. (laughs) It's got all these great ancient tweets that can help you grow spiritually. And what the writer seems to say in that book is that we shouldn't be selective about who we can learn from. In fact, Solomon, who wrote a lot of the book of Proverbs, lets us know that you can learn from ants, you can learn from children, you can learn from everything. But he says that fools don't like to learn. Apollos in this passage is showing extreme teachability. Pastor Mike and I have a mutual friend. His name is Todd Mullins. He says, a teachable spirit is a teachable spirit regardless of the teacher. doesn't matter who the teacher is. A teachable spirit has a posture that I can learn. Another mutual friend of ours named Matt Keller says, teachability is a willingness to learn something new and a willingness to relearn something you think you already knew. So it's not just learning something. It may be relearning something that you thought you already know. So it's a willingness to become better, a willingness to change, a willingness to learn. So here's a big question for all of us today. How do we know that we're teachable or not? Like, how do you really know? How can we figure out whether or not we have a teachable spirit? Well, let me give you an equation that will help you. A desire to learn times your willingness to change equals your level of teachability. Uh, I'll even go further. Desire to learn times a willingness to change and the tenacity to change equals your level of teachability. So how does this work in a practical sense? Well, if you're a parent and your teachability is low, your kids might end up being crazy. (laughs) How many people know some crazy kids? If you're an employee somewhere, your teachability has a lot to do whether or not you're going to be promoted from the mailroom to being a manager or being demoted from being a manager down to the mailroom. And if you're a leader, it has so many implications on whether you can scale a team or profits or build margin in your life. Teachability is a big thing. To have all the right goods but no teachability equals disaster. In fact, talent without teachability is a recipe for disaster. I've been around so many people that are talented in singing, but they can't take feedback. I've been around people that can speak and they're awesome, but they cannot take feedback. So if you wanna grow practically, for those of us that are taking notes on a mobile device or you're writing in a journal, here's some points that I think you need to write down. Make teachability a lifestyle. 
Make it a lifestyle. Don't ever let the context of where you receive the lesson prohibit you from the content of the lesson. The context of a lesson where you receive it should never be distracting to the content of the lesson. Real teachability says I'll learn anything, anytime, from anywhere or anyone. Think about it. This guy is academically trained. He's got the degree. He's the conference speaker. And yet this couple allows, to, he allows this couple to come into his life and to give him some context. Now let me just pause for a moment because I can tell you this is not giving us license to just go up to everybody and think that we can teach them something. I, I, I preach and your pastor preaches at a lot of different locations and we've all had that weird old couple that kind of come to you with the big eyes like this, like, hey, Pastor Wayne, there's something I want to talk to you about. When you see the pupils dilate too large, that's when you start walking back like this and go to the bathroom. Because something weird might happen. Now listen, they're not talking to the Apostle Paul here. They're talking to somebody that they know has a limitation in his ability to communicate the gospel. And so we have to learn some teachability factors if we're going to grow relationally and spiritually. So here's some points you can write down. Listen to others who may not be at your level. This is usually a defining characteristic of a person that is teachable. They start creating a stratification of who they can learn from and who they'll listen to. Now, it's been clearly established at the church that I lead back in New York that I cannot play golf. I'm just not that good at it yet. I don't have the right to talk to anybody about golf. Your boy will dress to the nines, though, on that golf course. Oh, I will be looking fresh on that golf course, all right? Don't play. We're going to be all right. But I shouldn't be telling you about golf. I can drive a golf cart. I cannot drive a golf ball yet. <laughs> See, caddies are golf professionals that don't play golf professionally. So a caddy may carry your bags, but they may be able to tell you a whole lot more that will improve your game. And if you're not humble enough to listen to the caddy, you may not end up becoming a scratch golfer. I was out playing golf recently with a friend of mine, and I was, you know, queued up, ready to swing. And my friend looked at me, and he said, you're not holding the club the wrong way. It's not a baseball bat. It's a club. And I was like, oh, okay, you got jokes, huh? Okay. Like, you, how can you even see this? I'm holding it like this. And then he texts me a link to this thing that you could get on Amazon to teach you how to hold a golf club the wrong way, the right way. I was so upset. I was like, I should teach you about your outfit, bro. Look at me. <laughs> you talking about a grip? I could grip your neck really good right now. I had to realize that I had a problem taking feedback. I had to realize that I wasn't humble. So the next thing that we could do is improve our responses to feedback. Like we need to manage our countenance. Sometimes when getting feedback, I say the right things, but my face isn't. I'm like, thank you. My face isn't communicating that I'm humble. I'm listening to you, but I'm looking at you the wrong way. Here's another point about our teachability. We have to refuse to get defensive no matter what's said. You can't be teachable. Yeah, you can clap for that. You can't be teachable if you're too defensive. Listen to me, everybody. When emotions are high, intelligence is low. 
When you're worked up and so on, you're going to end up saying things that are dishonoring. So when emotions are high, intelligence are low. Don't write off feedback from people just because you don't like it. Don't kill the messenger. You may need to ask this question. What could be true about what this person is saying? Listen, if somebody's coming to your house and they're delivering you flowers and they're dirty and they're disheveled and they don't smell right and they don't look right, it doesn't change the fragrance of the flowers. They may be trying to deliver something to you, this bouquet of feedback that you would end up receiving in a way that would make your home and your life more fragrant. But if you despise the person that's giving it to you, you can miss out on the scent of something that's powerful. See, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Priscilla's mentioned before her husband here in this text. Maybe she was more knowledgeable or articulate. But what I love about this is that they work together as a couple. And regardless of what gender you are today, male or female, God wants to use you in profound ways to help grow people spiritually. They didn't confront him publicly. They brought him to the side and said some things that helped him grow. We as a generation have access to tons of knowledge. We just don't have the humility to integrate that knowledge into our lives. So if we're going to be life learners, men and women that continually develop a lifestyle of teachability, this means we have to be willing to submit. We have to be people, especially people that have a high respect for others to listen to things that we may not even like. It's a culture of honor. Now, here's the deal. A huge shift needs to occur in our honor culture. I remember going to Bible college, and after graduating, two years later, they invited me back to be the dean of students and the campus pastor of the college, which meant that there were freshmen, sophomores, and juniors that had saw me graduate just a couple years before. They had a hard time receiving me as now the campus pastor and the dean of students. Not only that, some of the people that were now my colleagues used to be my professors and administrators. They had a hard time receiving me and receiving some of the things that I need to say. You know, in a military town like this, I'm sure that we get honor in a big way. We understand ranking, and some people only are teachable based upon ranking. But teachability is not about ranking. It's about reciprocity. It's about us respecting each other, regardless of where we land on our org chart. We honor up, down, all the way around. We honor our spouses. We honor people. So the big question is, are you currently struggling with showing honor to a particular person in your life? Do you honor your wife or your husband? Don't look to the left or right. You're going to argue on your way home. That's not... <laughs> Don't text this message to them right now, okay, if they're not here. That's not going to help. Do you honor authority, your manager, your bosses, the team that you work with, maybe in your real estate office? Are you listening to the feedback? Because pride is a big deterrent for teachability. Insecurity is a big deterrent for teachability. And so our willingness to learn from everything and everyone can keep us from being fooled by anything and anyone. And when you give honor to everyone, you won't be duped into thinking you're better than anyone. That's a big deal. Now, your boy wasn't always preaching, all right, everybody? I had a little bit of a speckled background. I was a little bit hood for a while, and I had to go to summer school. I, I like to describe summer school as a purgatory for dummies. It's like, <laughs> I don't believe in purgatory, but you just got to feel like you're in between heaven and hell during the summer. You know, you're just not that good. It was hot. It was miserable, and it was terrible. But listen to me. People that are not teachable don't graduate. 
This is why many people don't grow spiritually in churches because you've stunted your spiritual growth. You can't learn lessons so that you get held back. Have you ever seen a super senior? <laughs> They're like 29 in the 12th grade. <laughs> They're just like never going to college because they just won't learn. Well, guess what, everybody? Life is a classroom. Our jobs can be a classroom. Your marriage is a classroom. Our friendships are a classroom. This church is a classroom. That's why we tell people don't miss on the weekends and don't miss your small group during the week because those are classrooms where we learn about God, his Holy Spirit, and Jesus and how we can be more submitted followers. And so here's a second application point. Don't cut the metaphorical class. There's a big word for it called truancy. It's the action of staying away from school without good reason. It's absenteeism. And we often try to cut out of learning experiences when it's challenging to us. Is this the reason why so many of us change our jobs quickly or change our friendship groups quickly? Is this one of the reasons why we dip in and out of marriages or we switch our churches so easily? Because these are the classrooms that we can learn so much from. And yet for all, we're tempted to cut class on the weekends by not gathering with God's people to learn more about him and in the week our small groups where we could be learning so much you see our willingness to learn from everything and everyone can keep us from being fooled by anything and anyone and it's expensive to learn education is expensive it's going to cost you your time it's going to cost you your pride it's going to cost us our insecurity and have you noticed how expensive tuition is nowadays Tuition is no joke. I have a 19-year-old daughter that's in college right now and a 16-year-old that were queuing up for college. And I just want to let y'all know, if they were doing bad in high school, your boy wasn't paying for college. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I would have looked at my daughter, Haley, and said, oh, baby, you did so bad in, you know, high school and you want to go to college, but it looks like dad is going to help you be a professional dog walker for our dog, Kingston. We'll, we'll help you with that. We could do that. What I'm trying to say to you is that we shouldn't invest in unteachable people. And for some of us, we've been trying to give people lessons over and over again, but they haven't taken a step. So don't invest in unteachable people. Don't give false flattery and false affirmation just to make a person think that they are doing well. Test their level of curiosity and their level of submission. You know, we like to say a scripture a day keeps the devil away. Well, a proverb a day and the book of Acts a day will keep some stupidity away. Because what we see in the text is that Apollos was a teachable person. When they wished to cross over to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. So Priscilla and Aquila start this amazing small group that's producing life. And he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public. And this is why I believe he had limited knowledge on who the Messiah was. Because the Bible teaches here through Luke, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Hear me, everybody. Because he was teachable, God made him even more useful. And we're teachable. We become more useful to the kingdom purposes. Priscilla and Aquila had helped Apollos come to a deeper understanding of the things of God, and he in turn started helping more people. God used this ordinary couple to raise up a small group of believers, and even before Paul got back in town a year later, there was people that were coming to faith because they had a teachability factor. Maybe today I'm encouraging you 
in the way of God more accurately. And you need to ask yourself, am I a teachable person? Apollos became so powerful in the kingdom of God that some people were like, hey, I, I want him to start a political party. We're of Apollos, some of our Paul, and this guy became prominent for one couple that just said, hey, I want to help somebody grow spiritually. Priscilla and Aquila, or Axilla, were vital in God's work. What if they thought, we're not in the same league with this young man, someone else can talk to him. So the question is, in what way should you be open to teaching today? Maybe you've been ignoring your spouse. Maybe you've been ignoring a friend or a person that you attend a small group with. Where is God pointing to you to be more developed? Because our willingness to learn from everything and everyone can keep us from being fooled by anything and anyone. Our openness can remove limits. One more passage on teachability is in Acts 19. It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, your boy Apollos is at Corinth now, what? With the apostle Paul. And they passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. And there he found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what were you baptized? They said into John's baptism. I know they didn't say it like that, but it's kind of funny to read it that way. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. See, teachable people can have a notable experience with God. And God works big in small next steps. And all of us have a next step that we can grow in today to see God work big. I believe this because so many 21st century Christians are stunted in their growth. People sometimes are stunted in their spiritual and relational growth because we are so good at receiving inspiration, but we have a hard time receiving instruction. If the sermon is inspiring, oh, man, we love it. But when it starts barreling down on the areas where we need to change, that's when we get more tested in our ability to receive instruction. I was riding bikes with my friends recently, my friend Doug and my friend Ray. One of them is a pastor. The other one's not a Christian. And they were telling me, you know, hey, what are you preaching tomorrow? And I, I said, hey, let me run it by you. And, and I started to run it by them. And they started to tweak me a little bit and started to give me some feedback. I was tempted to kick one of them over on the bike. But the Lord, the Lord, he worked in me. He's reducing the, the pettiness out of me, everybody. I'm growing spiritually. And so they, my, my buddy Ray said something to me that I think is profound. He quoted this thing. He said, the human mind is never more creative than when it's trying to justify wrong behavior. <laughs> Have you noticed how creative you can get when somebody's checking you about your wrong behavior? You have something to say? The human mind is never more creative than when it's trying to justify wrong behavior. And all of us try to avoid things when we know we're wrong by getting creative. Maybe we just need to be more teachable. See, Jesus was considered a master teacher in his times. He was prominent as a rabbi. He had profound teaching. He had been this person that everybody wanted to be around. He had practical teaching and applications. And at one of his sessions, he ended up giving everybody in the audience a free meal. People love that. 
And they thought, oh, we can get an easy A by following the teachings of this guy. It's easy. He grades on the curve (laughs) until Jesus started to teach even further. They didn't have the right motives. They didn't want Messiah. They wanted a meal ticket. They didn't want a chief of their life. They wanted a chef for their life. And so they asked, what must we do to accomplish the deeds that God requires? And their question is reflected in their ill-founded motives. And Jesus says, oh, just stop complaining about the things that I've said. He says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. And at the last day, I will raise them up. And then he says, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. In other words, everybody that's teachable will find themselves in my presence. Everybody that's teachable will find me. He says, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And when they heard this, they said, oh, I'm, not, I, I'm definitely not teachable. This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. They didn't like the message, so they decided not to be teachable. Many people, the clearer Jesus gets and confronts the things in our lives, make a decision to either turn to him or to turn back from him. They were willing to follow Jesus when his message didn't feel like it came with something that we have to change. As a pastor, I felt this moment all the time as I've pressed into a particular series or I preached about something that's not culturally savvy and it's not on point with everybody is saying and and I've watched people leave. Sometimes they've walked out in the middle of a message. Sometimes they decided, hey, I'm not coming back to this church because you're preaching something that I don't like and it always hurts me and bothers me. It doesn't deter me from preaching the truth, but I can tell you that as we see Jesus, the God man, he's in his pastoral tone when he goes to the disciples and he says to his 12, do you want to go away as well? Are you, are you going to leave? Are you, are you not going to be teachable? Every pastor, including your pastor, is going to press into some things and to teach you and preach you because we love you. And you're going to have to make a decision on whether or not it's going to be sandpaper that bristles against your attitude. Or sometimes sandpaper, when it rubs together against other sandpaper, both become more smooth. And that's what growing spiritually is about. It's about us becoming more like Jesus. And perhaps today you have to ask yourself, is Jesus confronting you about your attitude toward your children? Is he reminding you that you need to focus on serving others and you need to be teachable about that? Is he telling you that you need to be more about him and not more about what he can give you? Are you on the verge of leaving your faith behind because of a bad experience at a previous church that you left but you still haven't learned from that experience? Well, here's the ultimate posture of a teachable person. Peter answers him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I'm not leaving my church because I didn't like what was said in the series. I'm not leaving this church because the word of God's confronting my attitude. I'm not going to leave the church because of the word of God coming against a certain area of my life. I'm actually going to stay with you because the words that you have are the words of eternal life. And I want to be in a posture of teachability. 
you know, maybe some of us today have problems submitting to authority. You're a teenager and you haven't been listening to your parents. You're a middle schooler and you're having a hard time submitting to your parents' authority. Maybe it's to a spouse that has been giving you feedback for a long time. Maybe you serve in a volunteer role here at LifePoint and the person that's over you has been asking you to tweak some things in the way that we serve people and you've been like, oh, I don't want anything to do. All of us have some area in our lives where we need to become more teachable. And our desire to learn times our willingness to change equals our level of teachability. Here's the good news of the gospel, though. How does Jesus book in what we've learned today? Well, Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and here it is, and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. The good news of the gospel is that when we come to Jesus, when we decide to learn from him, when we take his teaching on us, when we take his feedback and his instruction, guess what? We find rest for our souls because he's patient and he's kind and he's a compassionate teacher. And if you're here today and you're saying, you know what, God, I want to be more teachable in my life. I want to be more teachable in my relationships. I want to be, you're a part of a team at your job and you've been getting feedback and you've bristled against it. Guess what? It's spiritual at work to respond well to feedback. Not just what we do on Sunday, but our posture in working with people that are far from God, but close to us and even other believers. When we have an attitude of humility, God does big things in people that take small next steps. And so if you're here today and you want to participate in a prayer that says, hey, I want to be more teachable. For some of us, you might say, this is the first time I'm going to receive Christ. Well, no one's looking around, heads bowed. Raise your hand if you're saying, hey, I feel like the word of the Lord impacted me today. I need to increase my teachability like Apollos did. And if Apollos could take the feedback from a couple and grow spiritually and become more bolder in our faith, what would happen if we did the same thing? Pastor Mike's about to come, but why don't we just pray this prayer for those of us that are starting fresh with God. Father, I've sinned and I'm sorry, but today Jesus is the leader and Lord of my life. I believe he died. I believe he rose again for my sin. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and with strength so that I can follow him. Lord, help me to be teachable this week in all of my interactions. Give me humility. Help me not to have high emotion and low intelligence. Help me be the person that receives feedback and grows spiritually. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Let's go, everybody.